All right, well, welcome everybody. How's everybody doing? Doing okay? Good, good, good. Welcome to everybody joining us, all sites, all venues, joining us online. For all of you who uh, consider Blackhawk your church home, man, it's good to have a chance to be able to be back with you. And if I haven't had the chance to be able to meet you, if you're new around here, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm a part of the teaching team. And uh, it's good to have a chance to be back up here again. Hey, thank you so much, too, for all of you who have been praying for my dad, praying for my parents. Really, really appreciate that. And uh, my dad's back home. My parents are doing okay, so they are making it. And uh, would just appreciate your continued prayers. And my mom and dad are, uh, are actually watching right now. So mom and dad, so glad that you guys are doing well. We love you. Yeah, absolutely. You got a lot of people in Madison, Wisconsin who are, who are praying for you all right now. So, um, okay, so uh, let's jump into some of the message today. A, a lot of you know that uh, my wife, Rachel, actually grew up here in Madison, Wisconsin. Her parents, uh, Rob and Allison Hallworth, uh, moved to Madison back in the early 70s. And actually, right away as they moved here, they started attending Black Hawk Church. And, uh, and so they are actually a part or a part of our traditions venue. So shout out to traditions venue. And uh, hi, mom and dad. So now I've said hi now to my parents and my in-laws. That's a first, I think, ever so in a sermon that I've done. Uh, but they're over there. They have been in, in Madison since the early 70s. And so for Rachel and her two younger brothers, David and Robin, they grew up in this area. And one of the things that Rob and Allison uh, tried to do early on in their kids' lives, which I think that for a lot of us who are parents, we, we would try to do, is to instill a sense of of thankfulness and and gratefulness in their kids and just an overall politeness when they're around other people. It's something that we want our kids to do as they're growing up. And so at an early age, after dinner every night, Rob and Allison began to start having their kids say something to them after every dinner. They would, at at the end of the meal, when they wanted to, to get down from the table, they would have their kids say, thank you for this lovely supper. Lovely supper, British roots there, so lovely supper. Thank you for this lovely supper. Please, may I get down? And that was something that they just instilled in their kids. They wanted them to say on a regular basis. So that became a part of the regular rhythm and routine of dinner time every night. Uh, and so every night, that was something that they said month after month, year after year. Now, fast forward to when Rachel and I met in college. And back the first time that I came to Madison with Rachel, Uh, to spend some time with her family. And the first night we sat down to dinner, we've had this great meal, this great conversation. Rachel's youngest brother was in middle school at the time. And at the end of the meal, all of a sudden, he looked at his parents with a monotone look on his face, just kind of deadpan and said, thank you for this lovely supper, please, I get down. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, he's gone. And, And I... I had no idea, was that English? What just, I had no idea what had taken place. And I was like, can please somebody explain what just happened and what was said? And so they told me the story on what had happened there. Now, needless to say, what Rob and Allison had wanted to have happen in that moment had kind of changed a little bit over time. The familiarity of the line had bred this sense of like, 
man, just throwing something out there without a lot of meaning underneath it. Now, I'm guessing that for all of us, we've seen that happen in different places. Different sayings or mottos or slogans or even songs that over time as we say them, it's like they just sort of become hollow over a period of time. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because today we are going to be looking at a really famous passage of scripture. In fact, we're going to be looking at what I would say is the, the, most, the, the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed, that Jesus used to teach his followers how to pray. Yeah, okay, let's even take it a step farther. In reality, I would venture to say this prayer that we're going to look at today, known as the Lord's Prayer, is probably the most recited text in human history. Think about that. No other text, Christian, non-Christian, has actually been recited more than this particular one. And yet, over time, it so easily can lose its, its meaning. And, uh, and that's just the direction that things end up going. So we're going to take a look today at the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew. We are in this series right now that we are going through called Becoming, if you haven't been around here at all. We're taking a look at Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and this idea of this message that Jesus gave and who it was that he was trying to help his followers become in the period of that time. And I am guessing that like for this prayer, this is one probably that uh, I'm guessing for the vast majority of us that we're familiar with in some way, shape, or form. For many of us, maybe you have never um, learned it, but uh, you know, maybe you don't go to church all that much. But I'm guessing that you've heard it at some place, some time where you've been to church, or some even movie or TV show that you've been in. You're going to hear parts and go, oh yeah, that's familiar to me. To others of us, we grew up in churches where we recited it every week. It was just a part of our world. To others of us, and it was something that we took time to memorize. So in light of that, I just wanted us all sites, all venues to be able to say and recite this passage together. So uh, let's say this together, starting with verse nine. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's in our Bible, the NIV, where the prayer ends. Now, for some of you, you're going, wait a minute, there's a line that we just missed. What happened to, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Okay, so just a little Bible trivia for you to know. Actually, that verse, that line right there is in the King James Version of the Bible, the thee, thine, thouest version of the Bible that so many of us have grown up with at some point, and that's in there. But actually, in the NIV, the New International Version, which you potentially grab as you come in the doors. Some of you might use the English Standard Version, the ESV. In those, that line is not there. Something to know is that in the, in the earliest, most, most reliable manuscripts of the book of Matthew in the original language, actually that night line is not in there. Now in many other versions that have been written, uh, other manuscripts that were from the original Greek, it's in there. So some versions have decided to have that in. Others have decided to not have that in. So there you go, just a little bit of text. But regardless, if you end the prayer right where we ended or you end with that for thine is the kingdom and the power, I think we could all say that it's very easy to click into autopilot as we pray that prayer, isn't it? 
because we, can, we, we know it so well, we become so familiar with it that the words of the prayer can become dead rather than alive and, and vibrant. And, and the problem isn't with the prayer, the problem actually with, is with us. Because, um, man, prayer is kind of hard. Like anyone else willing to say that? You know, the prayer can be difficult. I don't know about you, but out of all the different spiritual disciplines, prayer is one for me. Here I am, a senior pastor, I'm admitting this. Prayer can be difficult. It's hard for me. In fact, I once heard a pastor say that he felt like it, uh, it can be easier to preach a message for 30 minutes than it is to pray for 30 minutes. And as I thought about that, I thought, yeah, totally. Because, you know, as I'm, as I'm giving a message, I can easily kind of like forget where I'm at and have to look back at my notes. I can kind of, you know, miss where I'm at. Or I, can, uh, I cannot be as dynamic where, you know, in, in, in the way that I'm preaching. But I never actually forget like that I'm preaching. You know, it's not like I'm standing up here and then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm preaching to you all. But when it comes to prayer, oh, man. Anyone else ever praying and you forget that you're praying? You know, like, I, like, like I, not too long ago, I, like I was praying and praying for, I can, I can be praying and I was praying one night for a friend of mine who I had spent time with and just praying that God would just be real to him in his life. And then I was thinking about him and thinking, well, yeah, when's the last time that I was with him? Oh yeah, it was a few weeks ago at the Great Dane. Man, I love the Great Dane. Man, what did I get that night? There was that jerk chicken sandwich that was just amazing. I think, I think I'm gonna get the great, I want the Great Dane tonight for dinner. I think I'm gonna order. I wonder if that's okay with Rachel. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's right, I'm praying. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Great Dane, got on the mind. Let's get back to what we were doing. But that, like, that happens when I pray. I'll, I'll be alone and that happens. I also can struggle when I pray in a group of people. You know, I'll get together with some friends that we're praying together or people here from church and I'll be praying. And in that prayer, as we're praying together, I'm thinking about, okay, what am I gonna pray when I pray out loud? And I come up with something. But then before I have the chance to jump in and pray, someone else jumps in and they start praying about the thing that I was going to pray about. <laughs> and, and so now I'm like, shoot, okay, what am I gonna pray? They stole my prayer. You know, and, and so now I'm slightly frustrated with that person and I am racking my brain on now, since they took my thing, what am I gonna pray about? And in the process of that, I'm completely missing the prayer that is actually taking place. Have you ever done that? I mean, prayer, prayer is just hard. It's difficult. And Jesus knew this. And so because of that, what he was trying to do in this moment was he was trying to give people a model to pray, not a mantra. He wasn't trying to give them, which I think due to familiarity and due to the way that we know this prayer where we can just click into autopilot, he wasn't trying to give us a mantra that we would just say that were some magical words and the more often that we pray it, the better off that we are with God. Now, here's the thing. Can the prayer be prayed exactly the way it is? Absolutely. And it's incredibly powerful but it was meant to be a model for us on, on how we should pray. That's the reason why very early in the prayer in verse nine, we actually see these words. This is then how you should pray, not this is what you should pray. Can it be prayed as it is? Absolutely. But it was meant to be a model, not a mantra. And so what I wanna do for the rest of our time, I just wanna take some time to be able to walk through that prayer together and to take a look at how this prayer would actually affect our 
prayer lives. And it starts, it's interesting, as we start to unpack this, we realize that it affects us straight out of the gate, even with who the prayer is addressed to from the very beginning. It starts with uh, our Father in heaven. Okay, now these first two words here, our Father, honestly, I could preach an entire sermon just on those two words. There is so much packed into those two words. There could be times we pray and we don't get beyond those two words. Those two words, our Father, encapsulate the entire message of the gospel. It encapsulates the whole perspective of what Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he answered, love God and love others. All of us is in that beginning, our Father. Think about this with the word our. It's corporate. It's this picture that, that, that of people together, what the church is meant to be. Notice Jesus could have prayed, my Father, but he didn't pray that. Everything in the prayer actually is corporate because of this perspective that we're to love God and to love others. As the, as the church community, we are meant to be in relationship together. Isn't that true? Where we, where we encourage one another, build one another up, pray for each other, challenge one another. There's this element of community. The, the Christian life was never just meant to be me and my Bible and Jesus, and that's all I need. No, it's meant to be together. Thus the idea of our. And then we get to the word father. You know, father is a word that, that we use all the time when it comes to the way that we think of, we think of God. But, but it's interesting to stop and think, what would the original audience who was listening to this prayer have been thinking about that particular word? You know, back then, I mean, this would have been a Jewish audience who were still getting used to the teaching of Jesus back at this time. And, and, and for that audience, they would have grown up with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is known as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, superior perfect, you know, outside of time, limitless, this picture of God up here who is holy and reverent. And then all of a sudden, God sends his son into the world, Jesus, and Jesus all of a sudden starts calling him father, daddy. That was so foreign to this crowd. You know what's interesting is in, in, in the Old Testament, God is called father only seven times. Most of the times those are in different poetic writings that are used. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and in the New Testament, the word Father is used for God over 275 times. And think about this. Why would that happen? Because the only reason why we have the opportunity to call God Father is because of what Jesus did for us. Coming into this world to pay a penalty that you and I could never pay, and therefore, for any of us who accept Jesus as our Savior, the door opens for us to once again be in right relationship with God and think about this, be adopted by him as his sons and daughters, children with full rights to the father. All of that is possible only because of what Jesus did. Thus, this element, our father. Again, I could, I, I could keep going, but in order to have time to get through the rest of the sermon, we should probably keep going right now. So he goes on, our father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Okay, hallowed be your name. Okay, why would Jesus be worried about God's name? And <laughs> when's the last time you used the word hallowed anyway? You know, <laughs> hallowed is actually just a word meaning holy. And the interesting thing is that, that, that Jesus here is not just saying to God, God, your name is holy. This is actually about God's reputation in the world. 
You see, if you look at the original Greek, the word that is used there for hallowed, actually, it's not an adjective, it's a verb. And so think about that. He's basically saying, God, would you make your name holy in this world? God, holify your name. In other words, God, would you help people to see you for who you truly are? I mean, think if we took time to actually pray that direction. God, would you help people to see who you are in my neighborhood, in the place where I work, in the dorm that I live in, at the school that I go to? God, would you help people to see you for who you truly are, for your power, for your perfection, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, God, for your patience, for all that. Help people just to see who you are. I mean, imagine how the world would look different if people just clearly saw God for who he truly was. And the prayer just starts there. It goes on then to say, Jesus went on to say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Think about this. The, anytime there is a king, there should be a kingdom connected to that king and that kingdom should actually reflect the values of that king. And so when, when, when God created this world, he created his kingdom perfect. But then... <laughs> Man showed up on the scene and kind of blew that one, and sin entered the world because of us. And, and all of a sudden, rather than being about the kingdom, then we became about ourselves. We became self-centered in those moments to where our lives became about us, which makes sense with where he goes in the rest of this. He says, uh, he says your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there's a struggle that for each and every one of us, we fight when it comes to living in the will of God. Because if I'm honest, the thing I want to pray for is I want, I want what I want. Like I want. I've got things that I want in my life. I want my needs, my wants, my will, my will be done. And there's a struggle in that for us to actually turn the corner and to pray a prayer, God, your will be done. Some of that has to do like with our own selfishness and the things that we want. Sometimes it has to do with us not being able to see the big picture of the way that God is working in a broken world that we live in. And if we're honest, sometimes when we look at the desires that we have in our life, we look at those and we go, those are good desires. When I desire to see something happen in the life of someone else who is sick or who is struggling, I look at it and I go, God, I think what I want is, is a good thing. And it's difficult to be able to turn the corner and go, but God, your will. I can't see the big picture. I'm going to pray for your will. I'm actually going to trust you in the midst of this situation and pray your will. That's a hard prayer to pray. And we know that's a hard prayer to pray because Jesus actually even struggled with that. The night that he was going to the cross and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying on his own, he said, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, <laughs> if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, it's a difficult prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, now, here's the thing. This is, ends the first half of the Lord's prayer. You know what's interesting for us to realize at this point? If we're going to use this prayer as a model, everything so far has been about God. The prayer completely starts with God. So God, like, you make your name holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let me ask you, when you think about your prayer life, where do you start? 
For me, when I think about my prayer life, I normally kind of start with me. I'm the center. And and then I kind of turn to maybe praying for some other people. And then I end, yeah, with me. Because my prayer life most of the time is really about me more than anything else. What would it just look like for our prayer lives to actually start with God? Okay, then he all of a sudden turns the corner. Jesus does and begins to focus on man, focus on us. He says, give us today our, our daily bread. Okay, now, now here's the thing. For, for most of us, when we think of the world that we live in, like we don't really think hand to mouth very much. We're not really worried that often about our next meal. There aren't a lot of people who I've come in contact with who on a regular basis are wondering where their next meal is coming from. For me, I kind of live the world of Costco. You know, like any other Costco fans here in the room or in any of the sites and venues or on the chat, you can blow up everything about Costco and how great it is. So I love, I love going to Costco. And let me tell you, when I am putting my box of 24 frozen burritos in my uh, cart, I am not thinking at all about give me today my daily bread. You know, nothing against Costco. That's just the world that we live in. But, you know, I don't think, you know, when, when Jesus was saying this, even to the crowd back then who lived more hand to mouth, I don't think that he was trying to get them to that place. I don't think many people, people back then were in a different place, but there weren't everybody who was worried about their next meal. I think he was actually causing that crowd, think about this, Jewish audience, who knew their story, thinking back to the days of the people of Israel, who were finally released from the oppression and tyranny of the Egyptians that they had been under in slavery for a long time. And then finally, they were being led by God from there towards the promised land. And for a long time, they were wandering in the desert. And in that time, they had to actually trust God for their daily bread. And so every day, they would come out, and there would be stuff that had fallen from the sky that looked like wafers on the ground. They picked it up. They named it manna, which, which in Hebrew means, what is it? I always think that's classic. And they, they, would, use, they would use that stuff to make bread. And, and remember, the bread wouldn't last. Like, they would cook it, and it would be good for that day. But if they tried to store it, it would get gross, and maggots would be in it, and all of this stuff. And it was a way of God teaching his people to trust God for their daily provisions. You see, Jesus is teaching us to pray that if God is the king of kings, and if he is our good father, then we need to be people, even in the midst of the Costco world that we live in, to be people who would trust God with our daily provisions, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, that God is one who wants to meet the needs of his people, that we would trust him that way. Give us this day our daily bread. And then, (laughs) then he moves on to a hard one, forgiveness. And forgive us, anybody ever get caught up here? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, hold on a minute here. I've thought this before when I've prayed this. Hold on, wait. So God, are you saying here that, God, you're going to forgive me as I forgive other people? because I might be in trouble. You know, and, and, and it feels like an ultimatum, doesn't it? And the interesting thing is this, if we jump one, two verses down, one just right below the prayer, verse 14, it says this. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive 
others their sins. Your father will not forgive your sins. Okay, wait a minute. This doesn't sound like grace anymore. What happened to like the grace and mercy of God in all situations? Now it feels like I am playing some type of role and there's an ultimatum on the table and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. Well, I think to understand this concept, we have to take a look at the big picture of the gospel. And when we look at the big picture of the gospel, really the, 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 the item of forgiveness, the message of forgiveness is just like front and center. It's at the heartbeat of the message of the gospel. You see, we live in a broken world, and we all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, where, where, where we're really good at hurting each other. And the thing is, is that someone comes and they hurt me, what do I naturally want to do? Well, I want to get even. I want to retaliate. I want to hurt back, which is oftentimes what ends up happening. And as I do that, then the other person is hurt, and now they feel the, the right to be able to retaliate and hurt and fight back. And it begins this cyclical process that just gets really ugly, this system that for so many of us that we live in. So the message of the gospel is Jesus stepped into that world to say, enough. This system has to stop. And so the way that he did that was by coming into the world and saying, I will take every hit. I, I will take every situation, all the hurt, all the struggle, all the pain, all the injustice. I'm going to take that on to myself. And I am going to pay the penalty for all of that. And, and as all of that comes to me, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to get even. It's the reason why, I mean, Charles talked about this last week. We moved towards this verse, why Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They know not what they are doing. I mean, th that, is a, that is a huge prayer. Uh, and it's so difficult for us to be able to live in that we would be people who were transformed by the message of Jesus. See, Jesus desires that we would be people who as we heard the message of the gospel and we understand the forgiveness of Jesus, that that actually would begin to transform us and make us into people who have the ability to forgive other people over time, that that would happen. So rather than fighting back, that we would be people who look at situations and go, yes, I know I've been hurt. And I look at the way that God has forgiven me and therefore I'm going to forgive others. Now, that is difficult, and that happens over time. Notice in verse 14 and 15 where it says that if you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. Notice it doesn't say that if you struggle to forgive, because forgiveness is hard. Does that, and forgiveness, does it mean that we just sort of like brush sin under the carpet? Absolutely not. Does it mean that I, God wants us to act as if it didn't hurt? Nope. Does it, mean that, um, does it mean that within those situations that he is saying, uh, if you have, uh, have struggled in that area with a relationship, well, you need to reconcile that relationship altogether? Nope. Does it say that there is not consequences to sin? No, it doesn't say that. It's saying, I am giving up my right to retaliate. And with giving up that right to retaliate, that is hard. And that is the reason why in the next section, verses 14 and 15, it doesn't say if you struggle to forgive, you won't be forgiven. It doesn't say if it takes time. No, what it's saying there is if you have made a decision that you were saying, I am consciously never, go I am going to refuse to ever forgive these people. Well, it could be that if you are in that boat, that potentially maybe you have never fully understood 
the forgiveness of God that has been offered to you. Because the idea would be that as we understand that, man, it would transform who we are and begin to fuel in us the ability over time to forgive other people. Forgive others as you've been forgiven. And then it goes on to the end of the prayer. We gotta keep moving. How y'all doing? This is hard. It's hard stuff. It's quiet in here, which either means you're bored or this is hitting you, and I'm gonna hope it's hitting you. So he ends with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, now once again, we could easily think, okay, wait a minute. It's saying, lead us not into temptation. In other words, does, like, it sounds like, is God leading us towards sinning? And actually, that's not at all what he's saying. Another verse that gives us the idea of the reality of that is James chapter one. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You see, God isn't the one who tempts us with sin, but he does allow us to move in directions that might be by temptation. And I think the thing that God is saying in the midst of this that Jesus was trying to get across to us is, we need to take temptation seriously. That we live in a world that is full of temptation and we grossly, grossly underestimate, man, the damage that sin can do in our lives and the power that temptation has over us. We need to be people who take it seriously. It can be really easy to be people who just simply think like, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, ah, I see everybody else doing it, whatever. No, Jesus is saying, I want you to take those things seriously because look, every time that we come in contact with temptation, the reality is it's connected somehow to a tempter. And, and that tempter, the evil one, his desire is to destroy us and our, destroy our relationship with God. So that over time, slowly, as we fall into these things, that we become people who think, well, God, I'm not sure if he's really good. And I'm not sure, God, if I can really trust you. And we begin to think that sin is not all that big of a deal. That's his desire in our lives. Jesus is saying, you need to be aware of these things. And so make sure that you are aware of the temptations in your life and you're praying against them. And that's where the prayer ends. <laughs> There's the Lord's prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So, you know what's something that I pick up when I look at this prayer altogether? I've said it a couple times. This prayer is hard. This is something that does not come naturally to me. Think about it. The idea of, of, of making God first, yeah, that doesn't come naturally. Of, of, of God's will instead of my will, that doesn't come naturally at all. Of, of trusting God for my daily provisions rather than trusting myself, nope doesn't come easy, of, of, of not getting even with other people, nope, that is not natural at all. And actually being aware of temptation and trying to move away from it, nope, that doesn't come natural either. There is nothing in this prayer that just comes naturally to us. And you see, that's the reason why I think that Jesus was teaching his people to pray this on a regular basis because he knew these things were not natural in our lives. And so he is saying, I want you to take this model, not turn it into a mantra, but I want it to be something that you make a part of your life on a regular basis. The Lord's prayer is not meant to be something that gets us to God. It's meant to be something that we pray that gets God into us. And there's a difference that way. And that's why he said, I want you to pray it often. This next week, um, I don't know if anyone else has looked at the weather. <laughs> anyone? 
It's looking kind of fantastic, isn't it? We're hitting 50s, and this is that time where it's like, I never knew the 50s could feel all that good, and <laughs> we're there. All I know is a lot of the snow that's in my yard still is gonna be gone by the end of this week. All of it's gonna be off my deck, and as soon as there's snow off of my deck, you know what that means is that it's grilling season. Now, some of you are like hardcore grillers, and you're like, whatever, get out in your negative 20 degrees and grill. That's the way it's supposed to be. I'm not that hardcore, but I love grilling season, and one of the things that I love in grilling season, I love... Um, one of my favorites is doing chicken. And when we first moved to Madison, there was a young couple who had Rachel and I over and they made this meal for us, this chicken, this chili tequila lime chicken that was just amazing. Like if you ever have one of those meals you have with somebody and you're like, yeah, I need that recipe now. That was kind of what this was. And so they gave us the, the, the recipe for this, this marinade. And this was not marinade you're just supposed to like paint on the chicken as it's sitting on the grill. Oh, no, 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 no. This is the type of marinade that you like put in a Ziploc bag. I was actually gonna have it up here and hold it up. And my wife was like, that is so gross. You cannot do that. And by the second service, it's gonna be really gross. So, but you put it in a Ziploc bag in the fridge and you let it sit there. And the idea of a marinade is that whatever type of meat you're marinating, that you put it in this solution and that, that, it, that, that solution kind of oozes its way into the meat and it changes the flavor and the scent and even like the, the look of the meat that it's in there to where once you take it out, it's completely marinated in it. You put it on the grill and oh, it's just amazing. Anybody hungry? <laughs> you see, that's what the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a prayer, not a mantra, but a model that we use to, not for us to get to God, but allow God to get into us. And Jesus is saying, pray this regularly because I want you to marinate in this. I want this to be something that gets inside of you and transforms your life, transforms you into who you are becoming. That God would get inside of us and make us more into his people. And so here's my challenge for you this week. I would love for you to take time just to pray the Lord's Prayer. Just to take time to be able to get into that prayer and pray section by section. And so what I've done is we've, we've put together some slides. And here's what I'd love for you to do. You can get out your phone right now, giving you permission to bust out your phone if you want to. And there's a QR code on there. You can just, if you open your camera app and hold it, kind of make it to where that QR code is big, it, you can click on it and it will take you right to the Blackhawk site where you can get all of these slides. The other thing that I do a lot of times is I just cheat and I take pictures of the slides. And you could do that also. That's the easy way to go. So, or it's all on our website under resources. But I'd love for you to take time just in your own prayer time this week just to be able to pray these directions. Take time with each and every one of them to pray our Father in heaven. Reflect on what it means that we get to call God Father. What does that mean to you? How does that affect your life? Hallowed be your name. Pray that the world would see God for who he truly is, that he would holyify his name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that we would desire God's will over our, in, over our own and we would be able to trust him fully. Give us today our daily bread. What is it today that you need? And ask God for it. And, and for you to have the ability to depend on him that he might walk you through this day. 
and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Where do you need God's forgiveness today? Where do you need help forgiving someone else? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Are there temptations in your life that you need to take more seriously? Ask God's help just in avoiding them. You see, as we pray this way, as we allow this, as, as we allow ourselves to just soak and marinate in this prayer that's become so familiar to us that we forget the meaning of it. And we, we become more the people of God that he desires for us to be because a prayer like this was created to get God into us. So my encouragement is just take time this week, each day this week, just to spend there. That, that together as a community, we might reflect more who he is as he transforms us into who we are becoming. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your love for us that doesn't make sense. And Lord Jesus, thank you so much for praying, helping us to learn a prayer that really isn't about us and is all about your Father. Would you help us to be people as we pray this prayer to become more the people you desire for us to be? We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people together said.